0: 2 Timothy 3, 10-17 is our text for this morning. And just a little recap of where we are and where we've been. Uh, we are nearing the end of Paul's second letter to Timothy. We're getting done with chapter 3, and we have two more weeks left uh, in chapter 4 the next two weeks. But to remind us of kind of what's happening um, just for context sake, which is extremely important that we understand the context of what's happening, is that Paul is currently in prison because of his faith in Jesus Christ. He's in, being imprisoned uh, for his faith. And he's writing this letter, and it will be the last letter that he writes, and soon he will, he will die at the hands of the Romans. Timothy here is Paul's young prodigy. Timothy is and will encounter all that Paul has experienced. Uh, This this is a very personal letter that that Paul is writing Timothy, and it's it's, it's full of warnings, and it's full of instructions of how Timothy ought to live out his faith, as well as how Timothy ought to be a minister of the gospel, uh, of the good news that Jesus has entrusted to him. But what's important to note is that even though this was a letter that Paul was writing to Timothy concerning these things, that these warnings or these instructions that we'll see today and throughout this letter are not only for Timothy, but they're wise, godly words for us to heed as well in order that we might run this race and finish the course that God has set for us, that we too might be faithful to him in all of our calling. The last few weeks, we've been seeing uh, Paul describing in detail the character uh, of those that oppose the truth and the warning against their false teachings um, that they were spreading. And so a lot of the last few weeks has really been warning Timothy of the climate that he's living in and to, be not, uh, to, to not be unaware of what's happening, but to be on guard and to stand firm in the truth. And what we'll see today is there's more of these imperatives. There's more of these challenges and charges that Paul, in his last, pretty much, you know, his last words, in a sense, are writing Timothy. We pick up here in verse 10 of chapter 3. 2 Timothy 3, 10 says, Now you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings such as happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and Lystra. What persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus ...will be persecuted. But evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. And that from your childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus." really the crux of our text this morning, verse 16. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word this morning. And the reason why we gather and why we take a significant time to study it is because we do believe that it is your word. That everything that we read today and study and look at is God-breathed and God-inspired. And it's for these things for us. We believe not only do we find yourself through its pages, but that it's profitable for us for these things that we might be adequately equipped for every good work that you would set before us. Lord God, we, we want to heed your word this morning. We want to, in one sense, be reverent towards it because it's your word, but in another sense, be very open with it because we know that your Holy Spirit would give us understanding of of the meaning of it for ourselves and how it applies to our own lives. Father God, would you give us a revelation to what it means, how it applies to our life. Would you anoint this time and empower it? Pray that I would be your mouthpiece. You'd use me for your glory and for the equipping of your saints today, Lord. Pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. For most of... <clears throat> everything that I know about God and about ministry, it's because men have spent time with me and mentored me. From the moment that I was saved, uh, I was saved in junior high and in high school, uh, I, had, I had men in my life that, that by example showed me what it was like to not only be a Christian, but to be husbands and fathers and how to treat their kids and how to work unto the Lord. And for me, I, um, I jumped into ministry fairly early. Uh, this year, I'll be in, have been in vocational ministry for 10 years. Uh, I was 21 when I came on staff here at Reality full time. And uh, most, if not all, of what I know and what I've become is because of two men. Pastor G., and Pastor Britt. Uh, those guys took me under their wing. Pastor G was my high school pastor. Britt was the college pastor at Calvary Santa Barbara. I uh, started going there when I was 16 years old. Snuck in. Britt let me. Uh, just had a big old Bible like this. Just hungry to learn about who God was and what that meant for me. But really, in, in teaching, discipleship, ministry, character, uh, those guys have, I owe everything to those guys. And... Uh, Without them, it just would have been a different picture. Um, You know, in God's sovereignty, I'm sure he would have done something different or whatnot. But I can see in retrospect that this was God's guiding hand in bringing these wonderful people and influences in my life. And over the years, uh, these remembrances, the things I remember them showing me and teaching me by example, have fueled my own continuance of the gospel. Like, I'm not with them or around them much anymore, but I'm here still. And, and there's a powerful link between remembrance and continuance. You know, remembering it and living through these examples, it really has, there's this powerful link between then and, and now and where God has me now. And such connections are a part of God's way of working in our lives. And this is what we see here with Paul and Timothy. We're reminded here of their mentor-like relationship. You know, in verse 10, Paul starts contrasting Timothy's life compared to what he just described. He says, you've been doing it, and the reason why you've been actually living out the gospel is because you've spent time with me, Timothy, as as an apprentice, and I've, I've mentored you, and I've showed you how to teach and how to conduct your life, and what purpose you should have in your faith and your patience and your love and your perseverance and your persecutions. You've been with me. And Timothy has had the chance to watch Paul close up and to see what he's gone through. And not only that, Timothy has had the chance to see how Paul has faithfully carried on through it all. For Timothy, he must now learn to stand firm on his own two feet in the things which he's learned. Again, we talked about this last week, but Timothy is no longer going to have the backup of Paul or the covering of Paul. Paul is soon to join his Lord and Savior in heaven. So Timothy must now learn to stand firm in the things that he's learned. The language behind the opening phrase here, you, however, have followed me, suggests deep intimacy. It can actually be paraphrased as you've studied with me at close quarters. If you think of that idea of close quarters, military, like in a foxhole together, uh, bury each other's burdens, fighting alongside each other, can't even be closer than that. This is the idea there that Timothy has ministered and done life alongside Paul in, in close quarters in all these different ways. One commentator and author Describes their relationship like this. He says, Paul was challenging Timothy to recall the deep master disciple intimacy that had begun with Timothy's conversion as a teenager during Paul's first missionary journey in Asia Minor. Paul had been present and very likely was instrumental in Timothy's conversion. Pretty incredible. Certainly Paul had become large in Timothy's world at this time. Since that time, the young man had walked alongside Paul, studying him in varied circumstances, in diverse cultures, and he had seen Paul challenged and heard his responses. And Paul's repeated sermons really comprised Timothy's theology. I mean, of of how Timothy viewed God and knew God was because of how Paul demonstrated living for God. And what Paul does, he says, you know these things because you followed me. You followed me in all these, <clears throat> excuse me, different ways. Paul here is not boasting in himself, but knows that in the midst of Timothy's environment, that he has been a good example for Timothy to follow. But what Paul has from the beginning attempted to do was to always be an example for Timothy to follow to point to the perfect example in Jesus Christ. Because even Paul himself, it wasn't about Paul, it was about Christ. And Paul was attempting to live and honor and glorify Christ in all that he did. And he was looking to Christ as his example. Paul would say a similar thing in his letter to the, to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians 11.1. Uh, he would say to them, you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. This is the, the idea that Paul is referring to in our text this morning. Timothy, you've been with me. I've modeled, not perfectly, but I've attempted to model following Christ. And, and as you've seen me as an example, continue on in those things. But I'm not the perfect one. Jesus Christ is the sinless, perfect son of God. Follow him now. I'm leaving, I'm departing. But remember, it wasn't about me. It was about Jesus. That's what Paul's saying here. Church, can those of you that are older, please, please do this with those that are younger. We need you to mentor and disciple us more than you could even know. We don't know how much we need it. I'm kind of speaking to myself as a little young still. Hope that's okay. I still, I'm young. I'm still, I think. Depends. If you're 20, I'm old. If I'm anything older than 31, I'm young. For those of you that are younger in this room, what you need to know is how crucial this is for your own lives. If there's one thing that I've learned, and I haven't learned much in 31 years, is that if I ever have a chance to just talk to someone, that has lived any more than I have. I'm just willing to glean anything I can from them. Tell me the good, the bad, and the ugly. Tell you how I messed up. Tell me how you followed the Lord. Tell me how you didn't. I want to hear it all. I want to learn from you so that I don't make those mistakes, so that I do walk with the Lord. I'd love to see that happening more. I mean, that's discipleship, but that's mentorship here. But Paul, he he goes on, and with Timothy's memory activated, Paul recalls their shared history. And he brings up specific examples of suffering. Right? He's reminding Timothy of their 10, 15, 20 years together, all the things I've taught you. And with his memory activated, Paul recalls the time specifically that they suffered together. And there's three different cities he mentions, Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. And uh, a commentator by the name of R. Kent Hughes describes this shared history. And uh, I will say it's a little bit dramatic and graphic in some way. It's describing the suffering that they shared together. Um, but there's a little bit of blood involved, so which there was. So here is R. Kent Hughes' take on these three instances of suffering that Paul and Timothy shared together. He says this. Paul had been driven by persecution from Antioch. You can find that in Acts 13.50. There's a record of that. He had to flee from Iconium when a plot to lynch him was uncovered. Read that in Acts 14.5 and 6. And Timothy was in Lystra when Paul was stoned. Timothy saw this. Rocks crushed against Paul's skull. And the Hughes here... Has a little liberty with the text, but he says this. And he fell, blood spattered, and broken beneath the rubble. He was dead, they all thought. And his murderers departed, leaving his body to his followers. How the believers mourned. What would they do without him? Suddenly Paul popped one eye open, and then the other. This is his take on it. But it's it's probably kind of true, maybe, I don't know. It's all right, brothers, no funeral today. Let's get out of here. I, I like it, who knows And he rose up and he entered the city We do see he entered the city, Acts 14, 20 That other stuff, I'm not sure how it happened that way But here's the point What a memory for Timothy How he must have played and replayed that in the young man's heart Remembrance of these things steeled him for faithful continuance I mean, this is the stuff, this is the stuff that they did together I mean, this was, this was real. This was life and death ministry that they had partook together. But Paul's point is that through all of that, he endured because the Lord rescued him. That's what Paul's point is. He, doesn't refer, he isn't, woe is me. Remember how hard that was. He said, remember that? Remember how God rescued us, Timothy? But what's important to note is, you know, some of us would think, Rescued? You were still imprisoned, stoned, and almost killed, and you're in prison now. How are you saying rescue? Well, in God's economy, rescue doesn't mean suffer no harm. See, the only way currently for Paul in prison writing this letter of 2 Timothy, the only way Paul was going to get released from this dungeon he was in, this prison, was that he was going to die. And he was at peace with that. We'll see that in the next few weeks. See, God had rescued Paul time and time again in the way that we would think, which meant that he would do it time and time again for Timothy. If God would, his will would would do that. But actually, God always rescues his people, whether in this life or taking them to be with him in heaven, we can count that as a rescue. And this is why. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. For Paul, his greatest final rescue was to go be with Jesus. He knew his time was up, and he was at peace with that. And Paul, in verse 12 here, would make it really clear for Timothy and for us what we could expect. He said, indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be Persecuted. This is a hard, real truth. For Timothy, this may have been ingrained in him already. He, he may have just figured, you know what, that's part of the gig. When you follow Jesus, you suffer. And I've actually never experienced life without suffering. But, but in some senses, you have to think, did Timothy may have hoped for something else? Or, or maybe that wasn't true. You know, Paul's crazy. Paul's just offending everyone in the whole world. I'm timid Timothy. Maybe it's not going to happen for me. Either way, I assume, as he's reading this letter by Paul, that Timothy would have stopped and taken a deep breath and paused while reading this. And I think it's only right that we too stop and let this sink in. Indeed, all who desire to live a Godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Timothy knew all of this, but to hear it from Paul again in a period just before his own death must have been very sobering. But as we can see throughout Scripture, and as we know, suffering is a part of of following Christ. It's for all of us. And we shouldn't expect anything else. But we should embrace it. We should walk in it. And we should not be surprised when we do. Because the truth is, if they persecuted our Lord, they will surely persecute us. Jesus told his disciples this. John fifteen twenty. He said, A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. There's no hidden meaning in that text. That's what it means. Jesus would describe it another way in the Gospels. Matthew 10, 38 and 39. He said, And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it, and he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. Paul in his letter to the church in Philippi, Philippians one twenty-nine would say this for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. But we also see in Scripture the truth that this is not our home. Our life is temporary, it's a vapor, it's a mist. We're only here for a short time. But there is a great hope and reward in heaven for us. Far greater than comfort that we find in this world. And far greater from the lack of suffering that we might want to not experience. Romans 8.18 tells us this. I consider that our present sufferings are not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed in us. 2 Corinthians 4:17 For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. That's the truth of scripture for our lives. We may not experience it or we may never experience to the extent that they did, but you never know. Maybe called and who knows what the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years of our nation holds. Who knows? This could, this, 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 this could be us as Christians. Verse 13 of our text this morning, Paul continues on to describe to Timothy the climate that he's in, the environment that's around him. And for us, it's also the environment that we will face. He says, but evil men that are around you and imposters in and outside of the church will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. That means what it says, that there is evil in this world is getting from bad to worse. It's getting darker. It's getting more horrible. There's there's more of it. It's more frequent. And we can testify to that. We can see that in the news. We see it all around us. Paul is telling Timothy here, it's going to get worse. That word proceed, literally, to to continue on. It's going to carry on. It's not going to stop, Timothy. They're not going to stop. But then I love what Paul does because he kind of plays on words here. Because in verse 14 that we're reading this morning, he says, you, however, continue in these things. They're continuing in those things, Timothy. You continue in these things, the things that you've learned and that have become convinced of, knowing from whom you've learned them from. What Paul is doing here is he's contrasting what Timothy should do compared to what those that are evil, uh, evil men and false teachers and false prophets, the things that those that oppose the truth are doing. You, Timothy, do the opposite. And what he's really saying is, you, Timothy, continue on in the word. Do not depart from the truth of scripture as they have, but stick, cling, and glue to the things about God that I've taught you and shown you in the scriptures. And, and, I, and I love that. Paul's just saying, you know what? There continue, but you, Timothy, you know what you believe. You know where you believe it from. You know why you believe it. Continue on in the word Timothy. Timothy's continuance in this apostolic ministry was a vital concern of Paul. in in the pastoral letters. I mean, you'll see it not only in 2 Timothy, you'll see it in 1 Timothy, you'll see it uh, throughout the letters that are written to Timothy, this concern that Timothy would continue the work of the ministry that God had called him to. And in our text this morning, one would say the central imperative, imperative being the absolute necessary thing that you need to do, is the word continue here. Continue on in the word. If there was one thing that we would say, what is Paul trying to get at this morning? He's saying, he's trying to get at the fact that Timothy, the word, of God, the word is God's word, and you need to continue on in it, and you need to be it's an absolute necessity that you do not depart from the truth, but you keep calm and carry on. That's what he's saying. He reminds Timothy in verse 15 here in our text, where he's, where he's learned these truths, not only by Paul's example, but he says that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are which were able to give you the wisdom that led to your salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. From childhood you have known the sacred writings. Timothy and Paul, for Timothy and Paul, of course. Uh, they didn't have the 66 canonized books that, that we would call the Bible. They had the Torah or the Old Testament. But what Paul was saying is that, Timothy, because you've read that, because you've known God's word and you've read the Torah and the Old Testament, it's given you wisdom about who God is and his plan for you and his intention of creating you. And it's led you to salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Because if we know anything, is that Jesus came to fulfill what was spoken about in the Old Testament. And so Timothy, from a young age, would have read this. The story of Israel and the purpose for all those rules and those sacrifices. And now, you know, the book of Isaiah and Psalm 22 had prophesied about a coming king and Messiah. And now Timothy has, has seen this And Paul, too, has seen this come to pass and fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. And because he's read the Old Testament, he's read the Torah, and he's seen Jesus, and he knows of Jesus, it's led him to be saved, to a saving faith and trust in Christ. And then, Paul ends this section with two verses that maybe all of us have memorized. Or at least... Many of us know. He says, Timothy, that scripture, all scripture, the thing that got you saved, the thing that gave you wisdom unto salvation, is inspired by God, or some translation, God breathed, and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. That, that idea of being God-breathed or God-inspired, what that does mean is that we can trust that these words are truths and has God in, God's intended meaning for us in them. But what is also important to note is that God did use people to record and write these things down. So there's, you know, a very popular idea in uh, American church culture that would say, you know, People like Paul and Isaiah and Jeremiah and the other 30 plus authors were merely tools or it were in some sort of Holy Spirit trance that God would speak to them directly and they would just write it down in the moment in that setting in some weird room somewhere. Literally typing down or writing down what God said in that moment. The Bible is clear actually how it's written. It doesn't hide the fact of how it's written. The Bible is a, you know, divinely human book, you could say. See, God used people and their stories in that part of history to compile his word. See, the Bible is a story. It's a story of creation, and God created, and sin entering the world, and God redeeming a certain people group, the children of Israel, a Jewish nation, but them rebelling and them giving him laws and them giving him commandments of which to live by that would, that, would, that would make them a counter-cultural people and that would represent his holiness in the midst of a perverse and wicked generation, but they couldn't do that and they fell away and they departed from those truths and then the prophets warned them of this and told of us Of the story that happened, and then Jesus came on the scene, and he didn 't come to abolish the law, but he came to fulfill the law and the story the story of redemption comes in you know there 's creation, and there was the fall, and there 's the effects of the fall and now redemption has happened to the Son of God in the person of Jesus Christ on Calvary on the cross and then the, the majority of the New Testament is letters re- written to how we are to live in light of that and what these truths mean for us and how we're to be on mission to spread the good news and then ultimately the story ends with, with, restor- with restoration, with all things becoming new, with all things being restored, not only redeemed but restored into their intended original purpose. The Bible is a story. And if, if you like, just, just trip out on all that, there's there's a couple resources I have to I have to plug right now. There's this there's this thing called the Bible Project, and they're out of uh, Portland, Reality San Francisco is doing this really cool year of biblical literacy. And what the Bible Project does is they make these really good animated videos telling the story of the Bible, whether it's books or themes or it's amazing. If you have studied and read the Bible for years, you'll be blown away at the Bible told in this. So go to BibleProject.com or whatever. Go check out the videos. Also, if you want to know more about the compilation of how the Bible was written, um, a guy just did a lecture at Reality San Francisco. His name is Tim Mackey. He's a pastor and a a professor up in Portland. And uh, the origins of the Bible, how the Bible was written. It's amazing. Go to RealitySanFrancisco.com current lecture. It's like a two-hour lecture, and he's a total Bible nerd, but it's amazing. So, more of that. Like, I just did, like, this much. More of that for him. Going back to our text in hand. When it says, all scriptures inspired by God, or God-breathed, <clears throat> even though God used people to write down these stories, that doesn't mean that it's not God's Word. He just wrote it down, His Word, using Different people with different personalities, different temperaments. They had different circumstances. And even the Bible itself is compiled of different forms of literature. Historical accounts, poetry, prophecy, letters, etc. But to really understand uh, what is the intended meaning of this word inspired here. Because uh, there's much debate about it. One author, for clarification, would say it this way. This is what he said. Some Christians have imagined that when people talk about the Bible being inspired, this is the sort of thing they mean. That Jeremiah, Paul, and others functioned as God's typewriter or dictating machine. This can't be right. These two writers themselves, to look no further, give plenty of evidence that their own personalities, vocations, struggles, and sheer individual circumstances affected deeply the way they saw and said things. The inspiration of the Bible didn't flatten out individual styles and angles of vision. If anything, it emphasized them. The trouble with this meaning of inspired is that it doesn't begin to get near what Paul and other other Christian writers mean when they talk about Scripture being inspired. They mean what Paul literally says in verse 16. This thing, this book, this Bible has living breath in it, and it's the breath of God himself. It's kind of a good way to summarize it. The question here that I think that Paul's trying to get at is is the authority of Scripture. Again, there is so much that we could say about that. So many books written. but can't get too deep. But the question here or the statement that Paul is making is that all Scripture is God's Word that these 66 books for us that we have are compiled into one book we call the Bible and are actually the word of God, that they're his words for us. The point that Paul is stating that we believe, that we believe is, is correct and true and right, is that this book that we have is the authoritative, infallible, inerrant word of God. What he was doing is he was reminding Timothy and us of this truth. Let me tell you what I mean by authoritative. We can say that the Bible has authority or it is authoritative because we believe that the God of the Bible, the one true living God, has all authority in heaven and on earth. Can I get an amen? And since this is his word, we can say that it has authority because of who is speaking those words. The Bible gets its authority from God. It's God-breathed. It's God-inspired. It's authoritative. For Paul and Timothy, there was no question that the scriptures were God's word. I mean there was there was no question there was no hint of doubt and because of that they could base depend and trust their entire lives to the truths in it scripture was God's word to them for every single part of life do, do, do you see do, do you see the, the difference there because the question I have is, do we look at it in that light? Do, I, I know we believe that. or I mean, I don't know if you believe that. I would hope that you do. I think there's overwhelming evidence uh, and resources to point it to that. But do we look at the Bible as the authoritative word of God? Or, or in other words... Is it our authority over our lives? R- remember, we find Jesus in the pages of this book. So, another question would be, are we allowing Jesus to have authority over us? Because if these are his words, then the question would be, is, are, are we heeding and coming under the authority of his word? Are we doing that? Because if we treat the Bible in any other way, other than the authoritative, infallible, inerrant word of God, it's God-breathing, God-inspired. If we treat it any other way, we'll see and feel the effects. And and this is is where it gets dangerous. This is the question that I really want to ask you if you don't believe this is the word of God. And and you don't believe in its authority, and you don't come under its authority— and it's not authoritative in your life. Well, my question would be is if God's word isn't your authority, then whose words are? Who's informing you? Who's 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 giving you your rule? Who's what authority are you coming unto? Your own? Well, that's influenced by culture and media and your childhood and your friends and your insecurities and your fears. I mean, who who's your authority? What words are authoritative in your life? Well, my parents, because I really respect them. Yes, that's good. Respect your parents, but their their words God's word? I mean, that, that's the authority of your whole life. You're basing on that? Your whole life is based upon what fitting into that group of people or having that house because of what people That's your authority? That's why you live your life and base your life upon? These are life questions right now. I mean, deep, deep, deep life questions, and that's what it's getting at. If God's word is not Our authority. And we aren't coming under its authority as God's word to us. Then what is our authority? What are we coming under? Who is dictating our life? Paul would go on and say God's word has a purpose. Actually has a lot of purposes. He just brings up a few. But for Timothy, this was for ministry and his calling. And for him and for all of us, it's really for every aspect of our lives. There's purpose for his word, in our lives. But he specifically highlights a couple. He says, Timothy, this is God's word. It's God-inspired, and it's profitable, verse 17, for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Just for one moment, put yourself in Timothy's shoes. Sandals back then. Timothy's sandals. Young, timid. My, 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 my disciple Paul is going to his death. I'm left alone in the midst of just chaos here. And Paul's reassuring statement right here is that Timothy, the word of God that you've known from your childhood that gave you wisdom, that led you to, to a saving faith in Jesus Christ, that same word is God-breathed. It's God-inspired. It's literally God's word for you. And it's and it's profitable for teaching others, for correcting others, for approving others, for training in righteousness. So, Timothy, so that you would be adequately equipped for every good work ahead of you. It's like the best thing you could ever tell me if I'm Timothy. So much hope, so much comfort, so much confidence, not in himself, but in God and his word. For Timothy, this is all he needed. This is all he needed. And for us, for us, it should be the same way. This is all we need is you, finding you and your word, Lord, and you've instructed me. And this is, I mean, for Timothy, it was his lifeline. This would equip him and sustain him for everything that he would encounter. And so for us, it'll do the same. This church, Reality Santa Barbara, we, brothers and sisters, we find Christ in the pages. Of this, We find Christ in the pages of Scripture. And the Word of God has a lot to say about the Word of God. I love it. Um, and in Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the Bible, uh, the center focus for the psalmist there is the Word of God. What I want you to do is I want, I just want to, I'm going to read off like 10 or so verses right now. And I want it to just bolster and add to the purpose of Uh, and what we can get, and what God's intended purpose for us reading his word is. Love Psalm 119, verse nine says this. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. The word of God keeps us pure. Verse 11, your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. The word of God keeps us from rebelling against our God. Verse 24, your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. That's where we receive wisdom and knowledge and what to do and how we should live our life. We receive that from the word of God. Verse 50, this is my comfort in my affliction that your word has revived me. Verse 52, I have remembered your ordinances from of old, O Lord, and comfort myself. Like the word of God literally comforts me. Verse 92, if your law had not been my delight, then I would have perished in my affliction. In times of suffering, if I did not hang and cling to your word, I would have perished. Verse 98 through 100, Psalm 119 says, Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever mine. I have more insight than all my teachers, and your testimonies are my meditation." I understand more than the aged because I have observed your precepts. Verse 105, many of us memorize this. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It guides us, it directs us, it illuminates the way in which we should go. Verse 160, 160, the sum of your word is truth and every one of your righteous ordinances is everlasting. Famous Bible scholar, theologian N.T. Wright said this, If we let Scripture have its way with us, come under its authority, all this is within reach. Because, of course, Scripture not only unveils the living God we know in Jesus Christ, but through our reading and pondering, It works this knowledge of God deep into our consciousness and even our subconsciousness by story, poetry, symbol, history, theology, and exhortation. The spirit who caused it to be written, who spoke through the different writers in so many ways is as powerful today as ever. And that power through the written word can transform lives. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. Church, let us come under the authority of God's word because that is where we learn, hear, and experience our Lord. We find Jesus in the pages of his word. Let's endeavor as Paul would tell Timothy to continue on in the things we know of the Lord, to press in, continue on, and lean on God's word for all we need. Amen? Amen, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this treasure that you've given us in your word. In it, we find you. In it, we see you, Jesus. And for many of us in this room, we have read it. We have believed it. You've saved us from our sins we've come to a saving knowledge of it and if that wasn't enough lord you give us everything in it pertaining to life and godliness oh the depths and the riches of your word father god we too want to continue on in knowing your word we see How profitable it is for us. We see its effect. We understand that it's living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. It's like a fire and a hammer. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. Just as the psalmist would say, God, we want to treasure and delight and meditate on your scripture. And even more than that, Lord, we want to Come under your authority by the authority of your word. God, for those of us in this room that have not done this, that we are our own authority, that we are allowing everything else other than your word to be the authority of how we live our life. Pray, God, in this time of worship, that you would meet us, that you would... would You change our hearts and our mindsets and that that we would surrender and humbly come under your authority and that you would lead us, that you would be our Lord, that you would guide us and direct us in, in all ways that we want that, Lord. We were never, ever, ever designed to do this on our own. We were always designed to be led by you. We were always designed for you to be our God. And you've given us your word now. So that we could know you. That we could hear your voice. That we could see your plans and your purposes. That we could adhere to your truths. And that we could experience you. So Holy Spirit, would you do that work in our hearts right now? pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.